Recently on the Discover the Word podcast, the uh, small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, the group did a six-part study of Galatians. Going through that letter, Paul wrote chapter by chapter, one chapter per episode, and really coming to an understanding of what Paul wrote and why he wrote it, and that when it comes to the gospel, it's all about grace. If you missed that study, be sure to find it on our discovertheword.org website or in your podcast app. Again, it's called It's All About Grace. Well, doing an extended study like that seems to have struck a chord. Let me read one response that represents a lot of the feedback we received. This is from a listener named Pip, who wrote this on our Facebook page. Thank you so much for the last six weeks of study. We are listening from Wales in the UK. And firstly, wow, where did the six weeks go? And secondly, thank you for such insight into Galatians. We've been listening for a good few years and have been blessed so much by being around the table with you. Many blessings, Pip. I love that. And I wish she could have read it for us. And so many have said that they'd like to have us do this kind of extended book study more. Well, we hear you. And today, we're going to begin another study of one of Paul's letters. This time, it's the letter to the Philippians. Four episodes to go through the four chapters. So pull your chair up to the table, and let's begin a study we're calling Finding Joy in the Journey, as we study Philippians together here on Discover the Word. And it is great to have you here. This is Discover the Word. And one of the Bible study principles we've stressed for decades is context. Context, context, context. Context is king. And so when we take the time to go through an entire book of the Bible like this, the context is so much more apparent. And we understand in such a memorable way why this book is in the Bible and how its message contributes to the overall message of the scriptures. So as usual, the group will share the leadership responsibilities and will each take a chapter. Rasul Berry is chapter one, and he'll focus on the historical and cultural context and the way joy shows up as a theme. And then Bill Crowder will guide us through chapter two and the important countercultural ideas about servanthood and servant leadership and the kenosis. Daniel Ryan Day has chapter three, the beware of the dogs chapter. And then Elisa will close out the study with a look at chapter four and will bring some clarity to the I can do all things statement that we find there. All right, so let's get started. Philippians, finding joy in the journey. As I said, Rasul is leading chapter one. So who is the person you've been friends with the longest in life? That depends on how you define friend. <laughs> uh, I mean, because my younger brother and I are pretty close mm-hmm. and I've known him since he was born. So mm-hmm. we've been friends a long time. After that would be Marlene. And then outside of those kind of family things, probably would be Mart. We've been friends for about 40 years. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And what's unique about those relationships that there's been a depth with that maybe is different? I want you to think about that as we kind of keep circling around. Mm. How about you, Daniel? Um, So Bill threw off my answer because I would consider myself friends with my sisters as well. So that would be most of my life. I guess Mm -hmm. I was two when my first sister was born. And then... I'm also thinking of friends that I knew before Rebecca, but I don't really talk with them that much anymore. 
So like they're kind of friends, but not around as much. So then Rebecca would be the next deep mm -hmm. friend for 18 years now. Mm -hmm. And then I can think of a couple other, other people mm -hmm. too. So okay. I go to my brother as well. And then I go to Evan, but I also go to a high school friend that we became friends in junior high and we still are good friends. And to go to your question, I think especially if my brother, our relationship has evolved. I mean, mm -hmm. it started out with me. He's five years younger. I kind of mothered him. Mm -hmm. And then, whoa, we went through a huge transition where I needed to stop that, mm -hmm. you know, and I needed to respect him as his own person, as an adult. And and then we came back and just were friends. And, and now we're in a role where I'm kind of caregiving for him as he has an illness. So I've seen relationships mm -hmm. really transition, yeah. even though they're the same one forever. Yeah. yeah and it reminds me of in these relationships that go a long, long time, you can be fake with someone for a little while, hmm. but when you're with someone for that long, they really see every aspect of who you are. You see pretty much every aspect of who they are. And so there's like a, just a knowing that comes with that length of a relationship that's so different from, you know, someone you might just spend a little bit of time with here or there. Which is good and bad. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, yeah, because yeah, sometimes we're embarrassed or ashamed of the fact that mm -hmm. this person knows that about us, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that mm -hmm. is. So. Yeah. yeah. For me, I think about my friend James, who's also my lead pastor now. You talk about we met in college mm -hmm. and became roommates and doing campus ministry over 20 years ago. I was in his wedding. He was in mine. And the thing that I love about that is there's a certain shorthand mm. that you have with people who you've known that long where a certain look or a saying can just, you know, there's a unique joy that comes from those type of relationships that you get to see over time, especially when those relationships are rooted in our faith in Christ, right? Joy that's even more apparent in those relationships. And it's the type of joy that the Apostle Paul expressed when he wrote the church at Philippi, one of the oldest churches that he established and the one that he had been in the foxhole with, mm. right? When you think about that phrase of folks who've been in the battles together. And the interesting thing is this letter really brims with joy, even though his own personal circumstances weren't very joyous occasions yeah. to celebrate at yeah. the time. So we're going to explore this letter for the next few conversations, chapter by chapter. And we'll get to <laughs> hear from each of us as we do. And I have the opportunity to start us off. So let's just kind of get a little bit of a backdrop and get us on the same page. What do we know about Paul's relationship to the church at Philippi? He started the church. I mean, he founded the church in what would be rather unusual circumstances, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. He was over in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and he saw a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so he and his group go across the water to Macedonia, which is northern Greece in the ancient world, and they come to the town of Philippi, and apparently it's not a, there's not a large enough Jewish community to have a synagogue because the Jewish people have gathered by a river for prayer. And they go out there and present Christ, and Lydia and some others come to Christ, and that's how the church kind of gets started. 
It's one of the few stories we really get, you mm-hmm. know, in Scripture that tells the color of how a church came to be. And I think that's one of the reasons it's very endearing to us is that we have access to some of the, the people like Lydia, mm-hmm. the seller of purple, you know, who's right there, a woman, mm-hmm. you know, and how interesting culturally it is. And this Jewish community that's converted and by a river, the, all the specifics make it very textural. Yeah. You know, we, we really can touch it and feel it. Yeah. yeah. And yet at the same time, I'm also reminded of like how little of the story we know because we fill in some gaps because we read this letter and we have a couple other stories bill like you mentioned but outside of that if we just added up the amount of time that we have represented there it's a small amount of time compared to much more that's been going on since paul's visit and now this letter and all of that so it's like we do get a lot more than some other letters but there's also a bunch of gaps Mm. that Hopefully we don't try to fill in out of our own (laughs) imagination. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it had this great start and this, you know, beautiful picture we paint of him really getting this call, you know, in this very spiritual, supernatural way, meeting Lydia. But then there has some really... There's a couple of bumps in the road. (laughs) Crazy situations as well. You know, uh, once he delivers uh, this slave girl who was uh, being exploited, Mm -hmm. a riot breaks out. He's beaten, thrown in jail. There's this miraculous deliverance from the jail, which causes the jailer to almost commit suicide. And then they let him know that no one is left. And so then the jailer in Acts 16, that famous, Mm -hmm. you know, question, what must I do to be saved? And their response, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I mean, it's intense, their relationship. They've had a lot of experiences together. And the thing that's so fascinating is that this letter frames all of that with this concept of joy. So we're going to look at just the first five verses in chapter one. Could somebody read that for us? Philippians one verses one through five. I can. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Mm. So in light of the conversation we were just having about the context of Paul's relationship with the Church of Philippi, when he talks about in all my remembrance of you, what might be some of the things he remembers? He might remember that morning by the riverbank. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you would expect that he would anyway. And we're told that after he and Silas were released from the prison, as they returned to Lydia's house, which seemed to have become the meeting place for this new congregation and spent time there. So I'm sure they had some good memories around meals and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah, probably the story of the jailer and that (laughs) Mm -hmm. miraculous release from prison. And then the fact that all of them were still there. Like there wasn't one person in the jail that was like, I don't know who you are, Paul, but I'm getting (laughs) out of here, right? (laughs) It's pretty crazy. And and evidently they supported him. They really took care of him. And there was a partnership, a clear partnership. And I've been thinking a lot about your original question about, you know, who we've been close friends with. And I, I do think about those people that the whole relationship that I have with them came because of ministry. Yeah. You know, whether it was in church or in a different kind of ministry, mm-hmm. there's a unique joy there. 
because yeah. we shared a passion to reach other people for Jesus or help people grow in Jesus. Yeah, and he talks about making his prayers with joy, and and it's easy to think about his treasuring of those relationships, those connections, yeah. those moments that they had together. And joy is different than happiness, right? Like happiness is usually circumstantial. If things are good, I may be happy. If things are not good, I may not be happy. But as we'll see throughout the rest of this conversation around the letter, that joy is from the Lord, and it's often even opposed to or in spite of the circumstances we it's see. counter-circumstantial. Yeah, I love that, counter-circumstantial. And especially the joy of fellowship with Christ, our brothers and sisters in the faith, they can sustain us through some tough times. Mm-hmm. And what is some of the tough times that Paul is dealing with in this letter? He is under arrest. He talks about being in chains. Mm. Part of his experience in Philippi wasn't all that great, but it seems like it's gotten worse because now he's confined in a way that is not conducive to what he's passionate about, which is spreading the gospel. And Mm. isn't it interesting that he did experience jail in Philippi and Mm -hmm. now he's experiencing it again. Yes. So, you know, there is a bridge there. There is a real connection between his current circumstances and what they knew about him. One of the things we'll see, too, as we go throughout the letter He's not confident he's going to get out of jail this time. There's a few hints that he might be thinking, this might be the end of my life. And you're going to hear that echo. You're right, Daniel, throughout yeah. this. He, yeah. he talks about death. He talks mm-hmm. about how it's better than mm-hmm. life. And not just because he's in jail. Yep. <laughs> There's something he's realized. While in prison, again, as you reminded us, Elisa, their correspondence reminds him of the Lord's deliverance on day one of the, you know, from the beginning. And that's a phrase that, you know, some of me and my friends use sometimes, like my day ones. Those are the people Hmm. who've been with me from day one, (laughs) right? So when we talked earlier about those folks that we can remember from childhood or even from birth, those are your day ones. And there's a certain type of joy in a mutual fellowship that we can get. And so maybe today we can even think about who's my day one? And how can I share the joy that I have with them? Oftentimes we don't express it so much because we're just so Mm -hmm. used to them being around that we don't even think to say it. But the beauty of this letter and the beauty of Paul's circumstances is that even in prison, even through trial, he shows us we can experience joy, that God gives us joy in the journey, regardless of where that journey leads. Friendships with those day ones are often forged in hard times. Lots of good times to remember, but they were there to see the struggles as well and help us through them. Those friendships rooted in our faith in Christ are a big factor in us finding joy in the journey. That's one of the first things we see as we get this study of Philippians underway. So do you remember that moment in uh, one of the original home makeover shows that became so popular? Yeah, the move that bus moment when the uh, finished product of the renovation was revealed. Usually pretty emotional and heartwarming, wasn't it? When all the struggle came together and the project was completed. Well, in this next part of the conversation, we're going to discover a move that bus moment referred to in the New Testament book of Philippians. All right, so let's listen as Rasul takes the group to a section of chapter 1 that has some parallels to something that most of us have at least some experience with, and that is the challenge of a construction project. 
Okay, so my church that I serve as a teaching pastor at in New York City recently began having services in a new building in downtown Brooklyn. And we were really excited because the spot that we're meeting out of actually has an open seating area, kind of like a little mall type spot. But there's a lot of restaurants around there. So there's just tables and chairs. And we were like, oh, man, this is going to be so great for fellowship. Yeah. After church, we can hang out. And then the second Ooh, Sunday. And then. Yes. <laughs> the second Sunday that we started having services there, we <laughs> arrive and there's this enormous scaffolding that's all throughout that entire area. The chairs are gone. The tables are gone. Oh. It's dark. There's just poles everywhere. So attractive. It's just, yeah, yeah it's, it's just now you look like you're in an alley. <laughs> and so I was talking to one of the workers that, you know, around and I'm like, so how long is this going to be there? He was like, I don't know. Oh. Could be months. Could be over a year. Oof. <laughs> Not sure. And all of a sudden, what we thought was going to be this great, beautiful moment and experience turned out to be something that's like a, a nuisance and a hindrance and was really disappointing. So I'm curious. We've all seen detours and experiences in our lives. When has your life been impacted uh-huh. by a construction project? <laughs> Either that one that you launched or that was launched on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine have been more chosen, but then they drag on. You know, so like we had to do some remodel in our kitchen because there was some water damage, you know. And so the refrigerator had to go into the dining room and, the, you know, all those crazy <laughs> things. And it's getting close to the holidays, you know, and I always host it. And I'm like, what are we going to do here? Are we going to sit with the refrigerator at our back in the dining room? You know? Oh, it's hard. Yeah. 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 You just said a lot of times we get to choose the projects. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rebecca and I have gotten to choose a construction project <laughs> in a while. It just is like things break yeah, things so break. much yeah. and getting them replaced. And one year in particular, it was literally like five different appliances and we're talking major ones like the furnace and things like that all went so out expensive. in a week. <gasps> and so the amount of just stress and yeah. then one of the rooms in our house flooded. Oh. Like it was just bad. I would like to get to the, you know what? I'm, I'm going to just redo this room because we want to <laughs> and not, <laughs> not because something broke. I've had two different kinds. We've done both home projects and we've done church building projects and We've been impacted by both, but probably the one that impacted us the most was when I moved to California to go to seminary there and to take a a small church. And we flew in and some friends were driving all our stuff across the country from West Virginia. So we flew in to LAX and my secretary picked up Marlene and myself and at that time our four kids. And so we dropped Marlene and the kids off at the house that the church had secured for us. And then I went with Patty to the church, which was actually in a rented commercial building. And we got there and there was a sticker on the door that said, if someone from your organization isn't at the city offices by the end of the day, we're closing you down. Mm-hmm. Oof. Um, yep. The building was not zoned for church and they said never could be. And so through a long series of circumstances that led to a building project where we had to completely redo the inside of that facility to bring it up to code to be used for assembly and stuff. And uh, that was a rather jarring situation. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's your first day on the job. Right. So, you know, yeah, all those things revealed that construction can be very frustrating. Mm Mm-hmm. 
things break, mm-hmm. yep. people are broken okay. and are in need of construction. Oof. And the results, though, can be inspiring. And one of the reasons that Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, which we call Philippians, is brimming with joy, is because of the confidence he has that their construction project will come to a glorious end. That it will be complete. And so we're going to look at that in this next passage in Philippians 1, 6 through 11. Could somebody read those verses for us? I've got them. Philippians 1, 6 through 11. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Love this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You could hear the confidence that he expresses in their sanctification. What is the basis of Paul's confidence in the Philippians' construction process? And I think what you're looking for is in verse 6, the one who began the good Mm -hmm. work is the one who's bringing it to completion. Yeah, it's not up to us or somebody else. And it's not up to Paul, Mm -hmm. who was their kind of spiritual mentor, uh, to bring it about. The, The confidence is in the Lord. So yes, first of all, he's confident that the one who began the good work will complete it because that's what God does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not just the author of our faith. He's the author and the finisher, finisher yeah. you know, of our faith, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And so there's a confidence that we have that though there are detours in the journey for us, though the construction projects seem to take us off guard and unawares, it doesn't take God off guard and unaware. And in fact, we participate with him. And once we do, we see that sense of you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Now, this is really where getting some context of the Philippians will draw out, because in general, it's not hard for us to imagine why someone might be uncomfortable with associating with someone that's in prison. Mm -hmm. But there was some specific context that made this even more of a tension point for the Mm -hmm. Philippians. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. um, If you were in prison in Rome, you were an enemy of the state. Mm -hmm. And Philippi was a Roman colony that uh, had deep devotion to Rome and to the empire. Absolutely. So there's affiliation. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they continued to identify with him in spite of those social tensions, in spite of the identity that they had, maybe even and the assumptions they had about people who ended up in prison before. Now they've expanded that to say, you know what, Paul needs our support. He needs our grace. And so that kind of is evidence of what God is doing. But not only do we see his confidence based on Christ and their activity, but we also see it based on his prayers. If you look at verse nine, it says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. How can our prayer lives, right, and our orientation toward God even give us more confidence about the construction that God is doing? I've heard prayer described as openness to God 
and what God is doing. So more before it's words, before any of that, it's like the orientation of our hearts of openness before God. Mm. And I think what that reminds me of in a sense of construction is if we're open to God, we can then trust that the work God is doing is God's work. Even if it's painful at times, even if it's messy with the construction and all of that, that there's this open, restful trustfulness in that it's God's work that's being done, whether it's in us or in others. There's a yieldedness, I think, in what you're describing, Daniel. That That's helpful. And, and he goes on in verse 11, that you'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So it's like what you're saying, Daniel, that mm-hmm. produces this fruit of righteousness. And we've talked a lot about that's right standing with God. It's being connected to God according to what he wants to do in us. And that's nothing to sneeze at. There's a great confidence. It's like he, he gets our heads straight again. Yeah. The process of being in prison for proclaiming Jesus was not a construction project that Paul wanted. <laughs> nor having to go through the legal wranglings he had to go through of proclaiming his innocence from the things that were being accused of him. And yet God used all of it as part of the construction of making him more like Christ and those around him, Mm -hmm. right? It just kind of reminds me at, you know, there was that show, Extreme Makeover. They would show all the things that were wrong with the house and all the broken down things and the story behind the family and their needs Mm. that were associated with it. And then at the end, when it was said and done, they would say, move that bus. (laughs) Right. And then the bus would move and you would see the project completed and the folks would cry and celebration and joy. Well, God is doing a construction work in us and we can have the joy in that construction process because we know Someday, he's going to say, move that bus, and we'll get to be seeing the renovated, glorious version of what he intended from the beginning. Encouraging part of the conversation, I hope, instilling in you a confidence that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. A move that bus day is coming, and so that's a good reason for finding joy in the journey. Well, in just a moment, Rasul will move on to the next section of chapter 1 and verses 12 to 18. As we continue on this journey through Philippians chapter 1, we turn to what I think is one of the most unexpected aspects Mm -hmm. of Philippians. And that is the unique perspective that Paul has about his circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Paul's circumstances didn't seem so great. He was in prison in Rome. He was not out spreading the good news about Jesus and starting churches and doing all his apostle to the Gentile stuff. And so what really mature perspective of Paul's circumstances does Rasul see in Philippians that can be a model for us as we face the unexpected in our lives? We'll find out after this short break. as we just heard, there are many struggles in our Christian life that can tempt us to step back from our faith in Christ. But the Apostle Paul is a great example of how God can work through us even when we're facing challenges. And Our Daily Bread University has created an online course called Paul's Prison Epistles to explore Paul's story and the fascinating history surrounding his remarkable life. This course offers a series of lectures presented by New Testament scholar, Dr. Reggie Kidd, that give greater insight into Paul's imprisonment and the four books he wrote from prison 
Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. That background and context is a crucial factor in understanding these letters. So listen to a free sample lecture. You can go to odbu.org and search for Paul's Prison Epistles. Like Discover the Word, Our Daily Bread University is another Bible engagement aspect of Our Daily Bread Ministries. Our Daily Bread University offers affordable, Bible-focused classes on a variety of levels for a variety of applications. Whether you're a pastor or small group leader, youth worker, or just would like to study the Bible on a deeper level, there are courses ranging from free to for credit at a seminary level. You have lots of options, and hundreds of thousands have used this program to deepen their walk with Christ. So again, explore Our Daily Bread University at odbu.org. And so now, let's pick up this conversation about Philippians chapter 1 and learn what unique perspective Paul had about his current circumstances as he wrote the letter, a perspective that would serve us well as we live through the struggles that life seems to be throwing at us right now. So they say that hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Mm-hmm. When's the time that your perspective on a situation changed after the fact? I can give an example. I can go first because it's very vivid and I tell the story often. But it would have to be when I was in college. I was a junior and um, my family was going to Ocean City, Maryland for Fourth of July, which was our custom. And so my girlfriend at the time was going to pick me up. She was going to accompany us on this family trip. And, then, you know, but I was like, okay, she's going to pick me up. She had to do some things, run errands to come later. Then so my family went ahead. Well, she gets there to the house and it says, I'm not going on a trip because I'm breaking up with you. Oh. <laughs> and then leaves, Yay. which then meant I was stranded in the oh. house on July 4th. And I just thought it was the most painful. I was, it was the ho- most horrible situation. Um, totally came out the blue. But that circumstance I look at completely different because a week later I ended up going on my first date with Tamika who I've been married to for the last 22 years so I now look at that as a relief you know but at the time it was a great and utter just Mm -hmm. disaster Mm, it's a good one yeah mine would be probably when my dad died Um, Mm. I'd been a pastor for three days and his was going to be my first funeral service. Oh. And um, the night before the funeral, I was standing in the funeral home by the casket while they had all the visitation stuff going on. And a pastor friend came up and just stood with me. He's kind of like the friends of Job. He, he just stood with me and didn't say anything for the longest time, which was really nice. And then when he started speaking, I wish he hadn't. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those things. Because he just kind of really softly and gently said, one day you're going to be thankful for this. Mm. And I kind of looked at him like he had a horn growing out of the middle of his forehead yeah, or something. Yeah, not today. That's right. And he said, no, no, no. Mm. You're not getting what I mean. He said, I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've done hundreds of funerals. And he said, I've never lost anybody close to me. I've never been able to sit with a grieving family and look at them and say, I understand how you feel. Mm. I've never been able to do that. He said, you're going to be a better pastor Mm. for having gone through this. And over the years, I found that that was true. And it changed my perspective Mm. on that experience and on his words, which were a little uncomfortable in the moment, but it turned out later was a great 
show of wisdom. Hmm. I can think of lots of examples too, but I'll go with a super shallow example. Recently, watching my son's soccer game, and my son plays defense. He's got that defender's attitude. It's really fun to watch. Really good at taking goal kicks and just launching it up the field. Well, partway through the game, he stops kicking goal kicks, and another kid comes over and starts kicking them and can barely get it past the 18-yard box. And I'm getting, like, so frustrated. I'm like, why is no one not taking these? And I'm talking to Rebecca. She's telling me to be quiet so no other parents hear me. And then after the game, I asked my son. He's like, oh, I hurt my leg. And I couldn't kick them. Mm. And so here I am, like, all moody uh-huh, on the sideline. Uh-huh, uh-huh. and, and they had made a really good decision on there because yeah. I don't want them to get hurt in a rec league soccer game. <laughs> you know, to, yeah. And uh, anyway, so I had some, uh, some humble pie to eat on that yeah. day. Mm. You know, we, we look at Second Corinthians and, and just see, you know, that we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have yes. received. Yeah. And, and that's what, you know, all of these examples really talk about. You know, for me, it's like I come from this broken home and I thought it was the worst thing. It was. It was hard. But it's made me resilient, you know, mm. and it's helped me understand everybody yeah. is broken and I'm not an exception. The thing that's particularly un- unique about, you know, Paul's take is that it's not even hindsight. He's in the situation totally, <laughs> yeah. and maintaining a different perspective. So let's read what that perspective is and how we might gain it. Not in hindsight, but in the present, in the mm-hmm. present. Um, okay. So it's Philippians 1 verses 12 through 18. You can take that for us. I've got it. OK, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice to live as Christ. Yes, and I will rejoice. Hmm. Okay, so just to get us on the same page, why is Paul in prison and what were the risks and dangers of a first century Roman prison? Well, first of all, he's in prison because he, in a sense, kind of asked to be. I mean, when he was arrested in Jerusalem on false charges, he appealed his case to Caesar. Mm -hmm. And the officials who were over charge of the case said, this man hadn't done anything wrong. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could have let him go. But now we've got to send him to Caesar. And that meant prison. So kind of he asked for it in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of that could have been to protect himself from the attempts to yeah. execute him. That's right. Uh, you know, extrajudiciously that the Jewish leaders have been trying. And then, but yet here we are. So yeah, he's in prison. And ultimately, as he says, he's been proclaiming the gospel, right? And they know, verse 13, that his imprisonment is for Christ. If you were to put yourself in that situation, how might that shape your experience? Like I am in prison for doing what I thought God wanted me to do. Yeah, I can't imagine how it would shape my experience, but I think about someone who had a similar experience, and that was a man named Richard Wormbrand. Yeah. And uh, he was imprisoned under the Nazis. And the way he responded to the imprisonment was, 
every week he would mentally prepare a sermon and on Sunday he would preach it. Hmm. And he said that's how he stayed sane. And huh. they ended up collected in a book called Sermons in Solitary Confinement. Mm. I don't want to say this and just make it sound easy, but the reality is that if we really believe every circumstance is ordained by God slash within his knowledge, you know, and therefore within his desire for our good and his purpose accomplishment, then whatever we're in, you know, we can back up and go, I'm here for a reason. And it it yields, if we cooperate, you know, a kind of a trust. Mm -hmm. I think it's tons harder to relinquish ourselves or yield ourselves in those kinds of circumstances. But when we're in happy little circumstances, we forget all about that. And, And it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't need God here kind of thing. Yeah. And I think sometimes we assume that Paul never sat there frustrated and overwhelmed and sad, but he was human. Mm-hmm. And so sure, we get this great perspective on his circumstances that I believe was true when he was writing it. But at the same time, there had to have been days while he was sitting mm-hmm. in this prison yeah. where he was also just about ready to give up and was struggling to see things in this yeah. light and all of that because he was human just as we are. And the circumstances that Paul brings out, I think it's important to note, isn't just the harsh aspects of imprisonment, but he also talks about the fact that even internally, relationally, there were circumstances of difficulty. He says Mm. there are people there who are preaching out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but to afflict him in his imprisonment. What do you think is going on there? Well, we know that there were some antagonists to his ministry because he writes about them to Timothy. He talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander. He Mm -hmm. talks about Alexander, the metal worker who did me much harm. That when he made his first defense before Caesar, nobody stood with him. Everybody abandoned him. So, you know, he had some moments where he was feeling the weight of it. Yeah. And when we get to chapter three, we're going to see him directly address some of what he's kind of referencing here, what they're saying and what they're doing and all of that that is inflicting him and causing frustration. And I think part of that's the fact that he can't like walk out of the door and go and directly address what they're saying to their face, right? Mm. Like this is the best he can do is write a letter and hope that people read it and then hope that they see what these other people are talking about. So speaking of frustration and circumstance, right? That's part of what he's running into. Mm. Well, and the thing is, his perspective is to rejoice. Yeah. And the one thing that we do see is that the words Christ and gospel are used seven times in these seven verses. <laughs> the key to Paul's joy of perspective is his focus on Christ. Yeah. And perspective is not ignoring or pretending that the challenges or issues aren't there, but simply choosing to focus on the big picture. Mm -hmm. And I think Paul responds with this great question. What then? (laughs) What then? (laughs) Only that in every way, Mm. whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice to live as Christ. Yes. And I will rejoice. Another key to Paul being able to find joy in the journey even in some of the really tough times, was that ability to have hindsight in the moment. It might not exactly be 2020 in knowing how exactly it will turn out, but having the perspective of trusting the one who is ultimately in control of the outcome is another key to finding joy in the journey. Well, in this next segment, Rasul will point us to what he calls a small word with big implications. 
a word that actually changes behavior if we let it. And so, what is that word? Well, that's what we'll find out as we dive back into this study of Philippians chapter 1. One of the things I remember looking forward to the most when I was growing up, there was a time we lived at my grandmom's house on the third floor. And early in the morning, she would get up and bake bread. And the scent would just waft all the way (laughs) up first floor, second floor, third floor. And, you know, wake me up. I mean, that's my alarm clock. Mm -hmm. The smell of this incredible fresh baked bread. And so I would drearily walk down those steps and she would uh, welcome me. And I'm like, okay, when this is ready, when it comes out the oven, I'm going to partake of some of the most amazing things Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. uh, this world has ever seen. Slathering that. Butter. Yeah, bread with Mm -hmm. butter and just eating Mm -hmm. it with grandma. So that was something I look forward to most in my childhood. So I'm curious for y'all. Growing Mm -hmm. up, what were some of the things you look forward to the most? Summer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. Summertime when we go outside at seven in the morning and come back home at dark, you know, yeah. I mean, we just be outside play all day. So and, much fun. Yeah. You I'm, know, and, and you're sending me back to grandma stuff. My grandmother had a pie for each of us and mm. we lived in Houston, but mm. she lived in Fort Worth. And so we drive up five and a half hours. Sometimes we take the back roads and my mom's in Pala with her two cats panting in the back. It's hysterical. <laughs> and then we try and walk the cats. Anyway, but we'd arrive and I'd have my peppermint ice cream pie waiting for me. Ooh. Oh, it was the best ever. Yeah. I'm just distracted by pie now. I know. I know. <laughs> so, just pie in general. All I heard was pie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. First, we've got fresh baked bread. Now we've got <laughs> pie. favorite pie. I think we're just going to stop this recording right now and go eat. Um, <laughs> no, I, I can think of Christmas or my birthday. Mm. Those are two days that every Every year I looked forward to a lot. Uh, but after you mentioned grandma, I'll throw a food thing in too. <laughs> My grandma lived in a small house on our property because I grew up kind of on a farm. And I would go down to her house almost every day after school. And she would have a cherry Coke waiting for me and then pepperoni rolls, which were like little croissant rolls with mm. pepperonis in them mm. that she would cook in her little tiny oven that she had. Little toaster um, oven thing. Yeah, yeah. little toaster oven. And so I would sit there and eat those with her, and mm, that was I the best. I love that. Yeah, so the thing that I notice in our stories is that the expectation mm-hmm. of what we were mm-hmm. going to receive or experience, summer, bread, pie, pepperoni rolls, <laughs> <laughs> impacted our behavior, mm-hmm. right? Like normally I wouldn't get up at six in the morning and just start walking downstairs and greeting, but, but when it was grandma's bread, then it was mm-hmm. it was time, you know? And of course, Christmas Eve, I mean, that's Mm. really hard to go to sleep (laughs) that that, that night. And so oftentimes our sense of expectation can impact our behavior. And as we continue through Philippians, we now get to a passage that explores the source of Paul's joy, a small word with big implications, hope, Mm. and a word that actually changes behavior if we let it so can someone read philippians 1 verses 19 through 26 for i know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of jesus christ this will turn out for my deliverance yet it is my eager expectation and hope that i will not be put to shame in any way but that by my speaking with all boldness christ will be exalted now as always in my body whether by life or by death For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Okay. Some other rich thinking and maybe some counterintuitive things. It's really rich. So one of the things that sticks out in this is my eager expectation and hope that Mm -hmm. I will not be at all disappointed. When you think about hope, what does that word mean to you? I think it's a tricky word because the way we usually use it culturally today is usually something that's outside of our control that we kind of have a low expectation that it'll work out. Like, (laughs) I I hope my team wins or I hope... It's kind of a weenie thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I have a friend in ministry who I heard say one time, non-Christians use hope as a verb, but Christians use it as a noun. Mm. Hope is not something where you grab on tight and hold on with all you've got and grit your teeth and just hope like crazy it's going to be okay. Hope is a fact. It's a factual thing Mm. that we hold in our hearts because of our relationship with God. It's a person for us in Jesus. I think about in Hebrews, this hope is an anchor for our soul. Or in 1 Peter, it's a living hope, Mm -hmm. which feels weird. Mm -hmm. And I think about the second part of that phrase in verse 20. He says, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. That's a weird word, Russell. Yeah. What does that mean to be ashamed? Well, I mean, one of the things I think about is all of the ways that Paul could have been ashamed. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about his resume, you know, educated by Gamaliel, you know, who's still considered today one of the greatest Jewish rabbis of all time, top of his class, was seen as the guy that was going to have this great presence and now he's floundering in a Roman prison, right? And even some of the people, if you look at Corinthians, he's having to argue for and debate for his own authority. There was a lot of things that could have been natural sources of shame. Mm-hmm. Is it like kind of like being, I will not be discredited? I mean, the shame, but I get it. I mean, right. the shame honor culture of New Testament time, we've talked about a lot. Right. But if he's trying to advocate for the gospel of Christ right. and he's saying, I hope I'm not ashamed, it, it's real like proven wrong. Exactly. Because okay. it's like, you know, his, he's talking about his hope and that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, that all hinges on the accuracy of the hope that he's put mm-hmm. all of his life stake in, which is Christ. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I will not be put ashamed. So that puts an entire different spin on his current reality of prison and all the things that come with it. When you asked about what do you think of with hope, I go to another text of Paul's in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. The hope is in the but not. Mm, mm-hmm. The right. hope is in the but not. Because, yeah, all these things are happening, but there's more. Yeah. And that, to me, that's such a fabulous description of what hope looks like yeah. in the kind of circumstances he's in in, in this letter to the I Philippians. I like that, Bill. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder, too, if here he's like not wanting to be hypocritical, but wanting to have the strength and endurance to continue with boldness preaching Christ because 
if you read verse 20 altogether, it says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by my life or death. So I almost get the sense in this mm-hmm. that what he's talking about is like, I don't, I don't want to be put to shame. I want to be able to keep being strong right. in the ability to keep preaching this boldness of Christ. And like almost like it's a how I'm living mm-hmm. is a testimony that I want to reflect what it is that I say I believe. So I don't want to wilt under yeah, the pressure. I don't want to give in. I, I want right. to persevere. Now there's because this of other, that hope. Exactly. And the yeah. hope allows him to do that. Now yeah. there's this other thing that I think is probably worth getting into a little bit. Because okay. there's this theme that he draws out about I'm hard pressed between the two, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess the two would be either that I am delivered from these current circumstances and live or I'm yeah. executed and I die and I'm with Christ. That can kind of, I think for us, a bit removed from this context, feel a little bit like, why would there be a tension? But of course you want to live. You know, of course you want to experience life. But he's like, you know, wrestling almost, it seems, with being hard pressed. Where do you think that's coming from? And what does that mean? And what doesn't that mean in terms of his tension? That See, he's I read it differently, Rasul. I okay. read it as a as his response to for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he's hard pressed between those two right. because to stay here and minister the gospel is better for other people, but to go and be with the Lord is better for him. But mm. isn't this one of the places, I'm just being honest here, where we go, hmm, I don't feel like you, Paul. I'd rather live here than die. I mean, I want to one day, one day. Right, or it could almost feel fatalistic to the sense of, are we courting this? Is he, is he almost asking for death? It might be his circumstances. Yes. I mean, depending on how tough this I think setting of jail is for him. We don't understand that, yeah. Right? Well, and there's so many modern day examples of hardship that maybe we don't understand living where we do and how we do. You know, you're a refugee or you're a sex trafficked victim or, you know, whatever. You, you go on and on and on. T- but, to live is Christ you know, and to die is gain. And at the same time, I think that perhaps, you know, part of why it might feel foreign to us is that it's because we can be tempted to not sometimes see the greater outcome of being in Christ's presence in heaven. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Than it is, mm-hmm. you know, I remember I used to be like, oh, I can't, I don't want Christ to come back yet before I get married. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, right, I remember right, right. thinking yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, or until this happens and until that happens. And right. then I think as we mature, we start to realize actually it's always better to be in his mm-hmm. presence. Like this earth will always have something. Now the faithfulness and the hope is that because I hope in Christ and it's a person that also means that wherever he has me is the best for me right now. Yeah. And it's uh, that's the trust that allows me to endure yeah, by current circumstance. And yet at the same time, there is a sense in which the quality of our hope is the basis for how well we can endure whatever we're going through because it will sustain us. Hmm. To live as Christ and to die is gain. Do we believe that? Hmm. Is that our hope? And because... That was Paul's hope. That was what allowed him to be able to stay faithful in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances. Yeah, and the other thing, too, that that helps me think about Rasul is the fact that we serve a God who is with us, right? The Holy Spirit is with us now. Mm. And so what's beautiful about that is in one way, yes, dying, we would be with God perhaps in a different way than we are right now. Yeah. But God is also with us right now. 
And so whatever God has for us today, he is with us in that. Right. Um, and so leaving doesn't get us closer to God. Yeah. Staying doesn't get us closer to God. God's with us here or he's with us there, regardless of where we are and what we're dealing with. That's good. It was a tough go for Paul, and one of the key factors in his being able to find joy in the journey was the source of his joy. The source was found in what Rasul called that little word with big implications, hope. And it is a word and a concept that can actually have an impact on our behavior if we let it. Well, we will wrap up the first leg of our study of Philippians in just a moment with a look at the last few verses of chapter 1. But first, this message. Our goal for this study is to help you as you read the scriptures and challenge you to live as a follower of Christ. But for our Daily Bread Ministries to reach people around the world, we rely on support from our faithful friends. And so when you pray for this ministry and those who use our resources, when you share these conversations with friends, and when you contribute financially, you're partnering with us in helping people all around the world encounter the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible. If you'd like to donate, you can give when you go to discovertheword.org and click on the Donate button. That's there at discovertheword.org. So, have you noticed how life is always such a strange mixture of joy and struggle? You know, joy in the birth of a new baby or grandbaby. Well, at the same time, there's the struggle of an Alzheimer's diagnosis and the sorrow of seeing a parent sink into a diminished state. Yeah, joy and struggle, joy and sorrow, because struggle and sorrow are going to be part of our story. But how and why our faith in Christ injects joy, that's what Philippians is helping us discover. So I remember a few years ago, in different workout environments, you would hear the <laughs> phrase, no pain, no mm, gain. No gain. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I wonder, does that work? Like, did, did that... <laughs> expression work mm-hmm. for you? I think it caused a lot of injuries, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you're in the middle of sets of mm-hmm. lifting or something mm-hmm. and someone says that to you, you're like, all right, yeah, that's right. We can do this. Right. You know, like it's mm-hmm. worth feeling the tension in, in these muscles and a little bit of the burn and, mm-hmm. and all that to lift whatever amount we're lifting. So I think I think it can be inspiring in the right moment. Now, if you haven't started working out yet and somebody's like, mm-hmm. no pain, no gain, you're like, nah, maybe I'll just go eat something instead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and that's the flip side of it because with no pain, there is gain, and it's usually gaining weight. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. And this paradox of pain and gain and all that, we see as we wrap up our conversation on Philippians 1 and talking about the struggle. And how even Paul finds joy in the struggle. So in his last passage of Philippians 1, Paul turns his attention to the necessity of struggle in the pursuit of joy. Now, talk about a contrast. So let's look into it. Verses 27 through 30 in chapter 1. Can someone take that for us? Sure, I can do it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Okay, so Paul exhorts the Philippians to let their lives be worthy of the gospel, stand firm, strive side by side. Um, This is all pretty challenging language. Based on what we know about what their past and present is, what might Paul be instructing them to stand firm for? Well, I'm I'm just kind of stuck on how can anything in my (laughs) life be worthy of the gospel? Mm. Right. That seems like that's Mm. an algebra that I can't get to. Right. And just the pressure that that feels like it puts on us. You know, if every day I wake up and look at my wife or kids and I'm like, all right, today, live your Mm -hmm. life in a manner worthy of the gospel. (laughs) I just feel so weighty. Now, of course, I'm emphasizing that maybe in a way that Paul would... Maybe it's right, light. Differently, yeah. you know? And you're like, the whole point of the gospel is that we weren't worthy of it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet Christ died for our sins while we were still sinners. It's not by works, it's by grace, right? So it's like the opposite is the way we were brought into the story. And so maybe it's just the way we live in response to it or something, but it feels very pressure oriented in the way it's worded. But to your question, Rasul, you know, we're going to see later in the book of Philippians that there were some disagreements and there were some struggles within mm-hmm. believers there. Inevitable, right? I mean, that happens everywhere. And he's back to standing firm in one spirit. And, you know, yes, they had endured mm-hmm. some suffering together with imprisonment and some persecution, etc. But I'm really struck by that, to live in a manner worthy means to be united Mm. and be one together. Yeah, and it's partly he's setting things up for what he refers to in verse 29. You know, for it has been granted to Mm -hmm. you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That's been granted to me. Like gift, like, like a, it's gift. a gift, <laughs> like yeah. Merry Christmas. Does that have a return policy? <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, Elisa, what you said a minute ago about just reminding us of the whole context of the book is so helpful because I think that's maybe a lot of the pressure that I feel with verse twenty-seven by itself mm. is because I'm doing exactly what we often talk about we shouldn't do, which All is pull one verse mm-hmm. out yeah. and make it about that one verse. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, as you go through, not only is it like striving side by side, one mind, one faith, mm-hmm. one spirit, but then in verse 28, and are no way intimidated by your opponents, which the rest of the letter begins to unpack yes. some of mm-hmm. who they're in conflict with and what's happening and stuff like that. And so it is this like call for unity of accepting this gracious gift from Christ of their salvation, but then also struggling together as a body as they stand up to this group of people that are at this point called the opponents. I think you're right, Daniel. I also think there's an element of something you led us into in an earlier conversation, Russell, and that's perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, the perspective is, if Christ, being who he was, suffered, who mm-hmm. am I to think I shouldn't have to? Exactly. Right? Yeah. But yeah. we do. We think, well, he suffered, right. so I don't have to. He died, right. so I don't have but to. But I think Bill hit it on the head is that mm-hmm. when he says talks about worthy of the gospel of Christ, what he's starting to bring out was that what is the gospel of Christ? That Christ came to earth, didn't have to 
put himself in position mm -hmm. to suffer for the sake of others, died on a cross for the sake of others, you know, and rose for the hope of others, right? So all of those things were things that he endured. And he was like, live a life worthy of that story. That's the story that you say you believe. Well, here's our opportunity. Not only that we've been granted that grace through Christ's sake, verse 28, right? In verse 29, but that also we suffer with him. And in some way, there were some assets and benefits that came as a result of Jesus learning obedience through what he suffered. Yeah. There's a, a sense mm -hmm. of intimacy that came with that. Paul is definitely saying that he's deepening in his own walk as a result of it. And so now I'm inviting you, Philippians, into that same story. Yeah, and it sounds like they're already experiencing some of that suffering in verse 30. Since you're having mm -hmm. the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have, which kind of like gives us a hint at why he's probably writing this letter to encourage them in their suffering and in the struggles they have, which jumps out to me because I often think about how often Paul writes about his own suffering. But here he's giving a nod to the fact like, no, I, I see you and mm -hmm. hear that you're suffering as well. So they're experiencing that too. And, and I think there's a, something else that's really interesting. In verse 28, when it says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. On the surface, that can seem like a, a very punitive and even, you know, almost petty, um, vengeful, you know, vengeful yeah. approach. But I actually think that there's some beautiful redemption here hmm. because... Paul, I think, might be pointing to his own experience of seeing Stephen. In Acts 7, we get to see that there's this line at the very end where almost a throwaway line. And there was someone standing <laughs> approving of what was happening. And it was Saul yeah. of Tarsus. And so when he talks about a sign of their destruction and of your salvation, I think that that was part of what the Lord used to prick Saul's heart mm -hmm. to prepare him for his revelation. And so mm -hmm. even that moment can be a sign that God can use for people's redemption. And so the struggle that we experience, the pain that we experience is real. And he doesn't urge us to deny it, but he does urge us to consider and to embrace the fact that that story is part of the very story that we believe for our salvation and our hope and is one that ultimately has brought us joy. It reminds me of Hebrews, you know, when we see, may you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, what? For, for the, the joy, joy that was set before, before him <laughs> endured the cross, mm -hmm. despising its shame. So in that same way, there's this relationship between joy and then the struggle. And it's not just something that Paul experienced, but he's trying to draw out to those in Philippi that they also might find joy even in the midst mm -hmm. of their suffering, mm -hmm. which is a pretty encouraging letter to write. And back to that no pain, no gain. When you think about it, joy is, it's really the ultimate product of trusting God, of, mm -hmm. of understanding his faithfulness, having confidence in his character. That's what joy is. And that comes as we endure pain and watch him provide for us. And that's right, and it and it goes back to where you took us in the very first conversation, Russell. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is rooted in circumstances. There's nothing in these circumstances that Paul says he's happy about. Mm -hmm. It's just that in these circumstances, he's learned how to experience joy anyway. Right. Paul isn't asking us to celebrate our pain or to have an expectation to like it, but Instead, he is inviting us to have a settled contentment and a confidence 
that this too will work out for our good, that we can have joy in the midst of the struggle because we know that struggle is not the final word, but peace with God is. Another great part of the conversation with Discover the Word group members, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And that brings us to the end of chapter one. And it'll be interesting to see how this idea of joy and finding joy in the journey ends up being a theme that runs throughout the whole book of Philippians. Well, Bill will take the leadership baton and carry us into chapter two in our next episode. It's uh, one of his favorite chapters in the Bible. And so he really wanted to lead us through its emphasis on servanthood and servant leadership and the kenosis. Now, what is that? Well, that's what we'll find out when Bill and Elisa and Daniel and Rasul return to the table to explore Philippians chapter 2 in our series called Finding Joy in the Journey. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. So thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.